average Lutheran, at least way back, imagine that there are only two important differences. Now, what is uh, C.F.W. Walter talking about in regard to the Reformed Church? We know that particularly as Calvin's teachings, but then a number of churches have come out of that Reformed Church, the Presbyterian, the Methodist, uh, the Baptist, etc. So Walter starts off that when they were still in Germany, uh, Lutherans thought there were only two important differences between the Lutheran Church and the Reformed Church. The first one regarded the Lord's Prayer. Lutherans put the word Father first, whereas the Reformed placed the word Our first. Now, when you look back there, that's because Lutherans followed the Latin word ordering of the Our Father, which was Vater Unser, Father Our. And the Reformed followed the Heidelberg Catechism, Unser Father. In other words, we have now also changed to Our Father, but in those days, Lutherans said, well, that's a big difference between us and them. The second one, the big difference, is Lutherans used a wafer at the Lord's Supper, whereas the Reformed churches used ordinary bread. Now, those are the two items that Lutherans, still in Europe, thought were the big differences between Lutheranism and the Reformed churches. Walther considers that a horrible ignorance, and he faults unfaithful ministers for neglecting their flock. But then something happened in 1817. King Frederick William III of Prussia, he established the Evangelical Christian Church, and he forced a union between Lutherans and Reformed. And it wasn't long before faithful Lutherans discovered there were a lot more differences between the Lutheran and the Reformed. In fact, those Lutherans who resisted the union were deprived of their rights and their property. They refused to be forced to worship with the Reformed. And many immigrated to Australia and the United States. Also, there was a professor, Klaus Harms. He was at the University of Kiev. That was a German city on the Baltic Sea, south of Denmark. He published a new series of 95 theses for use at the celebration of the 300th anniversary of the Reformation. And he added this warning, do not try to put the Lutherans and the Reformed together over Luther's dead body. His bones will take on new life And then, the Lord have mercy on you. 
Now, these days, here in the United States, after the establishment of a proper Lutheran church, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and uh, a few other good Lutheran churches like Wisconsin Synod, Lutherans are much more well-informed on the differences between the Reformed and the Lutherans. For example, when Lutherans talk about this is my body and my blood that Jesus says, we believe that they are substantially and truly present in the Lord's Supper, whereas the Reform symbolize that this is the body and blood of Christ. You see, they don't believe that the human nature of Jesus is combined with the divine nature here on earth, that Jesus in his body and blood, he is removed from the Holy Supper as far as the heavens are from the earth because Jesus is locked up in heaven in his body. And his return to earth is not to be expected until the last day. So it's impossible to be receiving his body and blood according to Reformed thinking. The other item that we have a big difference is holy baptism. Every Lutheran knows, looking at Scripture, that holy baptism is a washing of regeneration, whereas the Reformed contend that baptism is merely a sign, symbol, or representation of something that previously took place in a person. In fact, they don't baptize infants. Ask a Baptist why they don't baptize infants. is because they have to first come to faith, and then baptism is something that they would consider that we look at confirmation-like, uh, something that occurs after salvation. The third item that you find the big difference is we believe because the human nature of Christ is with the divine nature, even the human nature has received divine attributes. In his Jesus is all-knowing. That means he knows everything. He is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. And in his humanity... He is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. Whereas the Reformed contend that there's a difference of degree between the man Christ and other men, namely that Christ has just received greater gifts. Another item that we've discovered as a big difference, that Lutherans believe that the saving grace of the Father is universal. It is for all human beings. The Reformed view is particular. They contend, and this is Calvin's double predestination, God created the majority of the human race to eternal damnation and has accordingly assigned them to everlasting death even for eternity. So that's how CFW Walther shows four differences, and there are more, between the Lutheran and the Reformed Church. And that Reformed Church 
when it was established by that earthly king uh, as the Prussian Union, was not established by Christ. It was established by a human being. Therefore, the Reformed and the Lutheran do agree on some points. And this is why Lutherans had trouble leaving the Reformed Church. Because both the Reformed and the Lutheran have a view against the Papist Church run by the Pope. And therefore, a lot of people didn't see the real differences between the two. Well, one of the major points of the Reformed Church that it lacks is how to correctly answer the question, what must I do to be saved? That is a cardinal doctrine of the Lutheran Church, Walther says, and the Reformed Church does not agree with us. You can see that on television. You'll see Reformed churches say, would you like to be saved? Then say this prayer with us. God, I'm a miserable sinner, and I ask you to come into my heart or something like that. The reform does not understand a proper understanding of grace and salvation. And so they don't believe a person is saved by grace alone because their practice contradicts it. You have to hold what they believe first and then do what they tell you to do. This leads us to Thesis 9. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you point sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law toward their own prayers and struggles with God and tell them that they have to work their way into a state of grace. That is, Do not tell them to keep on praying and struggling until they would feel that God has received them into grace. Rather, point them toward the Word and the sacraments. Now, this Thesis 9 takes up almost one quarter of Walther's lectures to the seminarians. So we're going to be looking at it for a little while. And the reason is because when the Prussian Union was forced on the Lutherans in Europe, they began to hold to Scripture and the Lutheran confessions, which they discovered that the Reformed, the Rationalists, had abandoned in favor of false human doctrine. So, C.F.W. Walther is talking to seminary students, and here he begins the primary point. The doctrine denounced in this thesis is common to all the Reformed and to the sects of Reformed origin, that is, those other denominations that came out of Calvin, including Baptists, Methodists, the so-called Evangelical Church, Episcopalians, and Presbyterians. 
what they teach is condemned in this thesis. So how does CFW Walther begin his study? He takes a look at the Bible as to what the Bible says how to bring people into the Holy Christian Church. The first one he uses is Acts 2, the Apostle Peter, and particularly the Pentecost Sermon. He's talking to people, some who may have said just recently, crucify him, crucify him. And then he shows that on this day, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which they had already heard the roaring of a mighty wind and heard them speaking in unknown or known foreign languages, he says the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is precisely the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. That's found in Acts 2, 1 to 36. Jesus uses Peter that does a sermon that is a horrific law sermon because he says that they have killed the Messiah. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, that law moves them to say, what shall we do? Now, what does the apostle say? Walter says the apostle doesn't say, you need to make a personal effort to change your behavior. You need to recognize more deeply how sinful you are. You need to get down on your knees and cry for mercy. Perhaps God will help you and receive you into grace. No, nothing of the kind. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Why does he tell them to do something that God is going to do to them? The word baptize is in the passive. It's not something they do. It's something God does. Because the law has already done its work upon his hearers. The last thing the Apostle Peter wants to do is to try and get them to be saved by hurling these people into still greater distress. No, he provides instead the message of the gospel. 3,000 people were saved. The second example he gives is the conversion of the jailer at Philippi in Acts 16. Now, this jailer was really an unbeliever. And what had happened is that Paul and Silas had cast out the soothsaying spirit of divination from a woman. And her owners, well, they were losing money. So Jews were universally hated and despised, and they made sure that they put them into prison. But about midnight, Paul and Silas, after being whipped and put into chains, were praying and singing hymns to God, heard by other prisoners and the jailer too. Walter says the jailer must have thought, these men are weird. I have never had prisoners like this in my jail. Well, what happens, there's an earthquake, and everyone's bonds were unfastened, and the jailer is ready to 
commit suicide because that's what's going to happen if the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And in his great distress, having heard the hymns, he begs the apostles, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if the apostles had been reformed, they would have said, Well, before such a godless and reckless man such as you, you want to be saved? An elaborate and extensive cure is necessary. No, they don't say a single word to that effect. Rather, they see that the sailor is ready to receive the gospel, even though he remains a godless as he was before. And so that same night, they go to his home, he receives the gospel, and his whole family is baptized without any requirements He believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today, many in the Reformed Church would cry out, how can that godless and lax preacher be brought to salvation just by by believing in Christ? No, he must feel the grace of God in his heart. And how do they do that? Well, They have a bench sometimes that these believers go to, and they have people surrounding them, telling them to feel that God loves them. This is not the biblical method, and certainly not the Lutheran method. The third example is Paul himself. Paul often tells the story of his conversion, talks about being a... Pharisee, who was putting even Christians to death. And what happened? On the road to uh, Damascus, he is converted by nothing less than the word of God. In fact, Jesus does not convert him. What he does, he tells him to go and listen to a man named Ananias. And he will bring him salvation. And when Ananias meets him, he doesn't say, Well, Paul, first you have to keep praying until you have a sensation of grace deep out inside. No. You come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Receive him in baptism so your sins will be washed away. Walther says that's the true order of saving grace. We do not start by praying to obtain the grace of God, as many reform do. Instead, we receive the grace of God. Then we pray. We don't have to have an experience that we feel the grace of God. Because our old Adam keeps showing that we are sinners. Now, Walter makes a good point that you can still hear excellent sermons on the law from the Reformed. Like they'll speak, a Baptist or a Methodist, about the sins we do. But his point is, they don't bring out its spiritual meaning. And if you want to know what we're talking about on tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to, Wes Reimnitz and I are going to be talking about how parables lead to 
worship. And what kind of worship? Worship nightmares because they're not understood properly. So you need to get a person to the point where they declare themselves a miserable, wicked person, just like the believer Paul did in Romans 7. The the things I want to do, I'm unable to do, and the things that I want to keep from doing, I keep on doing. In other words, you may have heard of the anxious bench or the revival that occurs in Reformed churches where they're trying to get the persons to feel that they are saved. The trouble is, oftentimes we lose that feeling of grace and say, woe is me, I am damned and lost eternally. So, what we are hearing here is a big difference between the Reformed And there's three errors. These reformed neither believe nor teach the real and complete reconciliation of man with God. They think there's double predestination. Second, they don't really understand the gospel, thinking that that means what we tell man what he must do rather than what he believes. Third, They don't understand faith. They think that faith is something that improves you so you get to the point where God saves you. Grant, and here CFW Walters talking to the seminarians, grant that none of you go to bed tonight in that frame of mind. Because the way you imagine God to be, that is the way he is. If you dress him up as a scarecrow, as a God who is angry with you, you have an angry God, and his wrath will smother you. Therefore, his final wish to the seminarians, that you may be filled with good cheer to someday joyfully proclaim this most blessed doctrine to your respective congregations with the help of God. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reinitz and myself, Tom Baker, how certain parables are worshipped. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.